JBFE Studios is the Jade Motel Football Experience. And now here's your host, Jake Botel. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. An absolute bloody pleasure to have your company, as always, on the show, wherever you might be listening in from. You might be an astronaut on a moon base, a secret moon base, listening in to the JBFE. Maybe you're um, out harvesting some sort of moon algae uh, from the underside of moon rocks for sustenance taking that algae back maybe you're cooking up a nice moon algae stir fry and you're thinking what could possibly go better with my moon algae stir fry than a little bit of the jbfe pleasure to be keeping you company all the way up there on the moon godspeed uh, fair astronaut fair space explorer Galactic Conquistador. Unless, of course, you're working for the bad guys, in which case, I hope you didn't find any moon algae for your stir-fry this evening. If you were listening in from uh, planes more terrestrial, uh, welcome to you as well. Your contribution, the, the, uh, the offering of your ear holes... Um, for my sound waves uh, to find a nesting place in is equally appreciated. Perhaps more so. There's a lot more to do on planet Earth than on the moon. So the fact that out of all the millions of things you could be currently filling the next hour of your time with, the fact that you have decided to plug the JBFE into your ear holes, well, that makes you amongst the greatest people on Earth. All 12 of you. (laughs) What a weekend of football. What a weekend. Uh, Briefly talk about some college football. Um, I should also talk off the top. Um, If you've enjoyed the first three and a half minutes of uh, rambling madman... (laughs) I would implore you to go and visit the JBFE at Patreon and consider joining up the JBFE Patreon. Sling a couple of dollars my way. You can become a $1 Wildcat, a $3 Thunderer, a $5 Firebird, or a $10 Titan. No pressure, you can cancel at any time. And I'm still developing what that's going to look like. You know, trying to work out, I don't want 
to lock a bunch of content away behind a paywall. At the same time, I want to be able to pay my bills. So the old dichotomy of how do you keep a podcast free and accessible to all and how do you also make a couple of bucks for the time you put in. Anyway, that's an option. The Jake Botel Football Experience on Patreon. Go check it out. College football. Uh, the the my main three teams that I was uh, that I root for. Uh, we we had a bit of a clean sweep. The uh, Fighting Calderells, the Colorado Buffaloes, win their fourth game in a row. Their fourth game from four this season. Four and zero undefeated Colorado Buffs. Um, my Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns got the job done against arch-rivals Appalachian State. The Mountaineers had never lost to the Ragin' Cajuns. Well, now they have in what was a real, you know, ding-dong game. <laughs> it was a really nice one. Um, 24-21, I think, was the final score off the top of my head. The Cajuns prevailing in the driving rain. Excitement plenty. Worth going back and watching that one. And then, uh, David, if you're listening, block your ears, because I'm about to talk about the TCU Horn Frogs very briefly. Um, my TCU Horn Frogs come through with the upset win over 15th ranked Oklahoma State. My big takeaway from uh, from the Big 12 this season has been that there's going to be some teams ruining the missed opportunity. Oklahoma uh, has been inconsistent this season, hasn't been on their game. You feel like next year, uh, I think it's undersold a little bit, the fact that, you know, Lincoln Riley has, has worked with, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts, all these transfer quarterbacks that have come in, that, you know, they haven't necessarily had to recruit and develop from, from you know, from the word go. You know, this is the first time he's really done that, to my knowledge. Spencer Rattler coming in as a, you know, as a freshman and starting. So maybe it's going to take a little bit of time to develop that. They certainly look better uh, as the season's gone on. They, they had a little bit of trouble this weekend, but ultimately got the, the win. But yeah, the takeaway is for teams like Oklahoma State, for teams like TCU, who are a frustrating uh, five and six, I think, and have had a bunch of games that they sort of putzed around in and they, they could have got victories, you know. you It's maybe a missed opportunity because Oklahoma is probably going to be back to their, you know, 11-1, and 12-0 ways next season. And maybe it was a year for someone to take advantage, and maybe the Iowa State Cyclones are the ones who are taking advantage. Kudos to them. Matt Campbell. Whew. He has got them coached up. That's all I'm going to talk about college football this weekend. I really enjoyed the fan experience of watching some games, and particularly that Raging Cajuns victory over Appalachian State. So let's get into the NFL, and that's where the meat of this episode 
is uh, just a quick reminder for um, any of the uh, galactic conquistadors out there on the moon uh, make sure you I, the, the content on the pod can get pretty um, you know absorbing absorbent of your consciousness so make sure you set a timer to uh, to check your al- algae stir fry make sure you give that thing a stir that's why they call it a stir fry because you're frying it and you've also got to stir it so make sure you stir it don't get too distracted by the football talk you nothing worse than burnt algae stir fry that stuff is hard to gather um, so get it right even if you have to, and I don't recommend this all the time, but even if you have to pause the podcast, finish cooking your stir fry, then put your moon boots up and uh, listen to the pod. That's a possibility too. The beauty of podcasts is that you can pause it and listen to it at your leisure. So you know, just a word of advice for all my, um, uh, my moonscape chefs out there fighting the good fight at the uh, universe's edge. So NFL Week 13, and I want to start off with what I'm titling, Irony Abounds. The Chicago Bears offense finally lays up 30 points for the first time since Week 3, which they did against the Atlanta Falcons, and the defense drops its bundle for the second week running and gives up 460 yards, 400 through the air, and 34 points as they lose to the Detroit Lions Boy, oh boy, wowee, Matt Nagy is in some trouble with a capital T. Um, And speaking of things that start with a capital T, Mitch Trubisky, well, Mitch doesn't start with a capital T, but his surname does. So Trubisky, like he came in and played reasonably, had a crucial fumble late in the game. I'm fascinated to see how the Bears handle the Matt Nagy situation. They're five and six, I believe, off the top of my head. Are they five and seven? Or are they six and six? No, I think they're five and seven. I think they're five and seven. Anyway, whatever it is. Um, not good is is the, the essence of it. And this is a guy who won Coach of the Year not so long ago. I'm really interested to see what happens with him. Will he keep his job? Won't he keep his job? Another guy, um, Doug Peterson and the Eagles, they lose to the Green Bay Packers. Carson Wentz gets replaced, finally gets the hook, uh, and is replaced by Jalen Hurts, who sort of does all right. I think he was 5 of 12 for 109 yards and a touchdown with an interception. So, like, at least sort of moving the ball and it's something different. But I'm interested to see if Doug Peterson... You know, people are saying he's on the hot seat. Can you imagine many other towns where a super, a guy who won a Super Bowl as your head coach four years ago is on the hot seat? Like, I'm not denying that the last few seasons haven't been really disappointing if you're an Eagles fan, but I really can't imagine many other cities in the NFL where your job would seriously be under threat when you're only when you've got a Super Bowl just four seasons in the rearview mirror. I could be wrong, but I don't know. Philly seems like a uh, a snake pit to work in. 
So I don't know about Doug Peterson. We'll see. And Jalen Hurts has been named the starter for, for the coming week against the New Orleans Saints. Welcome to the NFL, Jalen. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And it'll be fascinating to see how the Eagles feel about Doug Peterson. What'll be, what would be interesting is, it's always a, an interesting test, I think, to say, okay, if you sack your coach, will he get a, a, a head coaching job again? Very, you know, in, in the near future. You know, people have said for years, like, I've, you know, heard some Steelers fans say, oh, sack Tomlin, sack Tomlin. You have got to be kidding me. Can you imagine how quickly Mike Tomlin would be would be uh, ushered into another head coaching job somewhere else in the NFL? That's a bit of a, I think, a bit of a test when you're saying sack the coach. How quickly would another team snap him up? I think I think there are teams that would pretty quickly grab on to Doug Peterson. To be completely honest with you, how often does a Super Bowl winning coach come available on the market? Not that often. So uh, I think, I mean, obviously he'd get a coordinator's job, but I really think that he would he could be in line to to be hired as a head coach again. Matt Nagy, I don't think, passes that test. And that's the benefit of having a Super Bowl. It should be the benefit of having a Super Bowl. You have achieved something that only, what, 50-odd other, or less than 50, because Belichick's won six of them. It's in the high 40s, I guess, of head coaches who have won a Super Bowl. In the 40s, anyway. So you're amongst elite company. If you're in, you know, within only 40-something people have done what you've done in your in your career, in your, in your industry, that's significant. Matt Nagy doesn't have that, but Doug Peterson does. So I'd be interested to see. I, th- I think he gets what... I mean, it's crazy to talk about that, that he could... That, like I said, a guy who won a Super Bowl four years ago could seriously be under pressure to lose his job. I think the quarterback is a massive part of the problem as much as Doug Peterson says, oh, there's lots of other elements and there are some other elements. But I think the quarterback one is huge. I think Carson Wentz at the moment looks like a, a dude who is kind of broken. He needs an off-season to work on some things, some you know mechanical issues. Just looks uh, shell-shocked, I guess. Could be a way to describe it. So flicking from the irony of the Bears to the irony of the Seahawks, and they're in a much better position, obviously, than the Chicago Bears, but there is something ironic um, going on with Seattle at the moment. Um, Their defense looks to finally be finding its groove. Um, Obviously, they had the addition of Carlos Dunlop, and uh, Jamal Adams is healthy again. Now, they gave up 28.6 points through the first six weeks of the season. And they've reduced that to 24.8 in the last six. But they're also, if you look at just the last month, the last four weeks, which I feel like is when you've really noticed their defense take a turn for the better, they're now just giving up 19.5 points in the last four weeks. They had just nine sacks 
through the first six weeks. They have now accrued 24 sacks through the last six weeks. So the defense is improving. What you were saying about the Seahawks across the first you know, month and a half of the season was, man, this offense is lights out. If they could just pull their defense from like bottom three, bottom four, you know, push it up to 15th or 16th, even 20th, somewhere in that range, this is a Super Bowl contender because it's, it's, it's like when you watch the Chiefs. The Chiefs don't need a top 10 defense. They just need a top 20 defense because the offense is so good. And that's what you were saying about the Seahawks. So they have improved from 28.6 points given up per game through the first six weeks to just 19.5 given up in the last four weeks. Nine sacks through the first six weeks. Now they've got 24 through the last six. However, the irony is that that much vaunted offense seems to be going in the tank. They scored 274 points through their first eight games of the season. So that's an average of 34 points per game that the Seahawks were putting up. 34 points per game through the first two months of the season. The last four weeks, the last month, the Seahawks have scored just 79 points in their last four games at an average of 19.75 points per game. So they've dropped, on average, 15 points per game from the first eight weeks to the last month. And the Seahawks are a really interesting case to look at because, as we said, if they fixed the defense to something like a top 20 level, they'd be a firm Super Bowl contender. And what's tough to work out is what is going on with the offense, particularly if you look at it from a statistical point of view and you don't watch the games, um, you know, what's going on because there isn't really a clear drop-off in terms of total an average sort of team passing and rushing yards. They're still producing plenty of yardage and that sort of thing. Like The points are definitely coming down. But it's not like you look and go, oh, wow, they've dropped, you know, their rushing yards have really dropped off. Or, oh, the passing is really, the, you know, the passing yards has really dropped down. But, so what I decided to look at, because who, what was the key factor in those first eight weeks? Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was playing at an MVP level. He was playing the quarterback position as well as anybody perhaps we've ever seen play the quarterback position, particularly through the first six weeks of the year. Things started to go a little bit haywire against Arizona, which I believe was maybe game six through three interceptions and three touchdowns and just made some decisions that you went, what? So if you want to look at Russell Wilson's statistical production, he threw for 1,890 yards, which is an average of 315 yards per game, through the first six weeks of the season, with 22 touchdowns and six interceptions and just one fumble. Okay, so that's through the first six weeks. He's, six weeks. He's averaging 315 yards a game, has thrown 22 touchdowns, just six interceptions and one fumble. And three of those six interceptions came in one game against the Cardinals, which is where stuff started getting weird. So in the subsequent six weeks, Wilson has thrown for 1,589 yards, averaging 264 yards per game, with just 10 touchdowns and five interceptions, along with six fumbles 
four of which have been lost. So first six weeks, 315 yards per game, 22 touchdowns, six interceptions, one fumble. The last six weeks, 264 yards per game, so that's 50 yards per game less, and just 10 touchdowns, and five interceptions, and six fumbles, four of which have been lost. He was averaging 8.75 yards per attempt through the first six weeks of the season, and the last six weeks, he's averaged 7.3 yards per attempt. So a, a drop of about one and a half yards per attempt through the last six weeks. But look at the last four weeks, which is where the, the, the real stark change has been, where they drop from scoring 34 points per game to 19.75 points per game. The last four weeks, he's averaging 6.82 yards per attempt. So that's almost two yards less per attempt across the last four weeks on average. It's not like there's not plays that, you know, it's not like he's looking horrible, Russell Wilson. There's a there's something going on, though, in terms of his decision-making. Because there's been times in recent games that make you ask, what the hell are you doing? While in the first six games of the season, it was, how the hell are you doing that? So you, you go from wonder and awe at how this guy is making things happen to confusion as, as to why he's doing certain things. There was an interception, I think it was against the Cardinals, that he could have run for a first down and instead he just threw it sort of across his body deep into the end zone and just had it picked. And it was it was a real head scratcher. You're just like, what? So I don't know... I'd like to go back and rewatch some Seahawks games, perhaps, but they and and it's probably worth watching some of the all twenty-two footage as well. You know what what is the coverage looking like against guys like DK Metcalf against Tyler Lockett? You know, are, are teams locking those guys down better than before? As I said it's not like they've lost a lot of like run production either. But what is forcing Wilson into these decisions? Why is he making these decisions? Sometimes it's sort of the last four weeks, it's strange because, it, you know, the criticism for the Seahawks has always been, God, just let Russell Wilson throw. But the last month, I sometimes kind of wish that the Seahawks would just get back to lining up and running the ball on third down and short. Too often, we, we, it's like they're getting in their own way. Take the simple option. But he's spent a lot of time against the Giants running outside of the pocket with with nothing to throw to downfield, seemingly. And it's hard on the, the normal TV broadcast to see what's open and what's not. So it's tough to know, is he holding onto the ball? Is he being forced out of the pocket because nothing's open and the coverage is good? Or is he being forced out of the pocket because he's not seeing not seeing the field well? Is there something open that he's not seeing? Is he looking to throw deep too? You know, too often, perhaps, only looking for the deep ball. Don't know. 
be interesting. Yeah, it'd be really interesting, interesting uh, to look at some of the all 22 footage. I might even go back and do some of that this afternoon to get to the bottom of it. But the Seahawks now, it's a question of, okay, what's going on with the offense? Because the defense has stepped up in a big way, particularly in the last month. Jamal Adams is just fun to watch. He's one of my favorite players in the whole of the NFL to watch. The dude is a monster. I think they said he's had something like seven and a half or eight sacks this season. The dude's a safety. And I get that some people are going to criticize his coverage or whatever. Who cares? The, the, the Seahawks just need him to, to be doing what he is, which is creating chaos, getting to the quarterback, manufacturing a pass rush for them because they don't have the defensive line to do it. So get creative. And you know what? Screw Greg Williams for saying that the Seahawks wouldn't know how to use him, that he wouldn't have much fun in Seattle. Well, here to tell you, Greggy, Jamal Adams still has a job and, you know, could be headed for a career best year. So let's transition to my next uh, episode guideline, a headline, Triple G goes down in blaze of glory. And that could be the headline for literally any time Greg Williams gets fired. After calling the game-losing zero blitz against the Raiders, the Jets' defensive coordinator gets the sack. For American listeners, getting the sack is the same as getting fired. I don't know if that language translates, but that's what we say in Australia. Someone got sacked means they got fired. Confusing in a football context. But But Greg Williams, who loves to dial up sacks, he gets sacked. If Bounty Gate couldn't kill his career, I doubt this will either. So, you know, he's going to be defensive coordinating and looking to undermine an unstable head coach at some point elsewhere so that he can get another interim head coaching job. Uh, Sounds pretty negative on Greg Williams. Here's the deal. I like him as a character in the NFL. I think sport is better when it's full of characters. Um, But there's little doubt that in real life, if you were working with Greg Williams, he could be incredibly difficult personality to deal with. Um the kind of manufactured bravado kind of gets a little bit old but he was good value on hard knocks uh, when the Browns were on some good stuff between him and Todd Haley there's no way Adam Gay sticks around another season in New York is there so that like they've sacked Greg Williams now there's no there's no chance is there like if you're a Jets fan you're thinking, well, good. They're keeping Gase around because they want to make sure that we lose out and get the first overall pick and go and get Trevor Lawrence. Which I don't think will necessarily fix their franchise, but that's what you're thinking. Okay, that's why Gase is being kept around. That's why they haven't fired in mid-season because they don't want to risk you know, an interim coach like a Greg Williams. See, I think if they had to put Greg Williams in as the interim head coach... The Jets probably would have won a game or two down the stretch. He has that ability to fire up a team, um, puts a bit of sort of bastard into them, did it with the Browns uh, in the back end of, I think it was 2018. So that's what you're thinking. But is there 1% of you, or 3% maybe, of you as a Jets fan going... Man, I really hope they're going to sack him. I really hope that 
him still being there isn't a sign that they're actually going to stick with this guy for another season. I don't think there's any chance. Surely not. They, the optics of it. Like, if they go 0-16, how do you keep a coach who went 0-16 around? He has to be gone, surely. Sticking in the AFC East. Old New England. The Patriots. 45 to nothing. Strangulation of Justin Herbert and the LA Chargers might just be the ugliest 45 nothing performance by a team you'll ever see. Um, Cam Newton and Jarrett Stidham combined for 14 of 22 for 126 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions at just 5.9 yards per attempt. And that's an improvement on their 4.7 yards per attempt last week against the Cardinals. The team rushed for 165 yards and two touchdowns on 43 carries. I believe both rushing touchdowns were for Cam Newton, who showed his red zone uh, weapons. How many 45 to nothing games can you think of where the winning team tallies just 291 yards of offense? 291 yards and they put up 45 points on the Chargers. Speaking of coaches who have hot butts, um, Anthony Lynn loved him on Hard Knocks, but this team has just been um, disorganized, undisciplined. Too many penalties at crucial moments, you know, too many men on the field, too few men on the field. Um, it's, it's not been a good look the last few weeks. Justin Herbert looks amazing. And if anything, if Justin Herbert had looked average, maybe that would have been better, made a better case for Anthony Lynn. That, well, look, you know, the quarterback, you know, wasn't as good as we thought. We've had a lot of injuries to guys, you know, obviously losing and James at the start of the season. Austin Eckler's been out for the majority of the year. They've, they've had injury issues with Mike Williams and on and on and on it goes. But... The fact that Justin Herbert has come in and looks good, what well, looks great, looks like the future of the franchise, looks like potentially a franchise-changing quarterback, if anything, that puts the microscope more heavily on Anthony Lynn because the Chargers have to make sure they have the right guy. Now, if, if, he, if Justin Herbert had rolled out and not looked that great, Maybe Anthony Lynn isn't under as much pressure, but because Herbert looks so good, because the offense, you know, until this week, you know, had, had kept putting up points and Herbert's got such a, a deep ball threat and a good connection with Keenan Allen. But the defense has just not looked great. And the, 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 it's the ill discipline, it's the lack of team discipline that's really been and that was something I thought you know it's a, would define an Anthony Lynn coach team discipline difficult to play against wouldn't you know shoot themselves in the foot well there's been too many times where they have just lost games they should have won this season so I think he is on the hot seat and it'll I think the best case scenario for Anthony Lynn is that he gets a, a, a another year to prove it. Um, because I, yeah, 
I can definitely see him not being the Chargers head coach at the end of this season if, if things continue on their current trajectory. And I don't know exactly what they've got to do to save his job, actually. Because um, the case at the moment is, well, we were missing so many injured players, some crucial injured players, Austin Eckler for one. You know, it's a massive part of what they do. Oh, we were missing Derwin James and some others on defense. It's pretty flimsy when you see what other teams have done, you know, with injured rosters. Or look at the Patriots, one of the most talent poor teams in the whole NFL, and they just roll up and beat you 45 to nothing. Yeah, it's it's tough to um, it's tough to make that case. And the Patriots, after starting the season two and five, they are now four and one in their last five games. At six and six, they've got matchups against the Rams, Dolphins, Bills, and Jets to come. You know, going three and one to get to nine and seven would be an outrageous turnaround. But even getting to eight and eight, with the massive amount of talent they've been missing this season on defense, you know, due to various things, but you know, a lot of guys, you know, opting out for for COVID reasons and that sort of thing, and and, and top level talent on the defense. Like, that'd be a massive result. And you kind of get the feeling that Bill Belichick is loving this challenge. And consider this as far as a coaching advantage with the roster he's working with. Bill Belichick and the Patriots and their anemic offense has defeated Lamar Jackson, last year's reigning MVP, Kyler Murray, and Justin Herbert in three of their last four games. And... They lost by just seven points to Deshaun Watson and three points to Josh Allen in the last six games. So they almost beat the Buffalo Bills, who are ahead of them in the division. They almost beat Deshaun Watson and the Texans, who are, you know, frisky. So, look, whether they... I I think playoffs is going to be a tough ask for them this season because I think you'd have to win out. I think you'd have to get to 10 and 6 in the AFC. There's too many many teams in the AFC North and I think there's going to be too many teams in the AFC South. I think if you're looking across the league, the North, depending on how the Ravens finish up, could potentially send three teams. But you're going to at least get two. You're going to at least get the Steelers and Browns. You're going to get the... Uh, the the Titans and the Colts, there's four. You're going to get the Chiefs, could get the Raiders, um, going to get the Bills. So it adds up pretty quickly. Dolphins are in it. It'll be t- It's going to be tough for the Patriots, but I think the takeaway for me is that the dynasty really, in so much as this has ever been a dynasty, the dynasty has been about Bill Belichick not so much one group of players. It's been about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but I think we might see that that dynasty is not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, they're still one of the best coach teams in the whole NFL. They're 4-1 and one their last five weeks after starting 2-5. and five. They have $62.5 million in cap space to come in 2021, the fourth most of any team in the NFL. So, you know, they're going to be able to bring talent back in, um... I'll be interested to see what they do with Cam, whether they keep him around on another... Like, again, like Brady. Brady wasn't surrounded with that much talent. Cam isn't surrounded with that much talent. What happens with this Patriots team if they can go out and get a first-round wide receiver talent? 
if they can put some more weapons on offense. Be interesting. Be really interesting. Let's transition then. Um, I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and anyone who knows the podcast will know that I am a Pittsburgh Steelers fan at heart. Um, Run, baby, run. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers might be 11-1, and one, and obviously they copped their first loss of the season against Washington um, this week. They're 11-1, but their run game is and has been a massive problem. Uh, previous listener of the podcast will have listened to me rant about this before, but I'm going to rant, I'm going to break this down for you more specifically because I want to sort of flesh this out with some numbers and not just me going, they can't run the football. So this season, they currently rank 29th in the league for average rushing yards per game. That's more than only the Cincinnati Bengals, the Chicago Bears, and the Houston Texans. And they rank below teams like the Detroit Lions, Tampa Bay, Miami Dolphins, and the Atlanta Falcons. In 2019... Well, they finished the season ranked 29th, above only Atlanta, the Jets, and Miami. In 2018, well, they ranked 31st. The only team that rushed the ball worse in 2018 than the Steelers was Josh Rosen and the Arizona Cardinals. So they're ranked 29th in average rushing yards per game this season. 2019, they ranked 29th. 2018, 31st. You have to go all the way back to 2017 when Le'Veon Bell still led the Steelers' backfield to find a Pittsburgh Steelers running game that was anywhere even close to average. That season, they ranked 22nd in average rushing yards per game with 102.9 yards on the ground per contest. Go back a season further, the Steelers ranked 8th in the league for average rushing yards per game. 2015, they were 14th. 2014, 17th. So, this is the thing. When I say that the Steelers can't run the ball, I'm not saying that they need to become... They don't need to get Cleveland Browns level run game. I'm not saying they need a top five running offense. This is like the Seahawks defensive issues, or or like the Chiefs. When you say the Chiefs or the Seahawks, whoever it is, they've got this amazing offense. They just need the defense to be top 20. The Steelers have a good passing game in general. They have the best defense in the league. And and you can look at that statistically, and I'll give you some of the stats around the Steelers' defense uh, shortly. They just need a top 20 running game. They just need to be in the top two-thirds of the league to be dangerous. And that's, you know, you go back and look at the season, like in 2017. You know, um when they were ranked 22nd and I believe made a divisional round of playoffs, I think it was, the loss to the Jaguars. Um, and they were averaging 102.9 yards on the ground per game. You go back and see, you know, the, the season where they were ranked 8th, that's exceptional. If they can be ranked 8th, they'll be really dangerous. 14th in 2015, 17th in 2014. Like, that's enough of a run game for the Steelers, when you have Ben Roethlisberger. Now, what quarterback comes in next? Who knows? You might have to change things up. But with what they've got in the passing game, with the receivers they have, with the defense that they have, 
they only need a top 20 rushing offense. That's all they need. And they're 29th. They were 29th last year. And they were 31st the year before that. This has been a problem long before this season. So when I say the Steelers need a running game, I'm not only talking about it being an issue this season. This has been an issue for the last several years where they haven't been able to get into that top 20. So let's have a look at some numbers through the first six weeks of the season. So across the first six weeks of the season, the Steelers' passing game, they averaged 215 attempts per game, averaging about, sorry, they had 215 total passing attempts through the six, first six weeks of the season. And they averaged 35 pass attempts per game with 6.8 yards per attempt. The Steelers' rushing game through the first six weeks, they had 184 total rushing attempts through the first six weeks and averaged 30 attempts per game. So through the first six weeks, the Steelers averaged 35 pass attempts per game, 30 rush attempts per game. Through the first six weeks, they had 778 total rushing yards, which was good for 129.6 per game at 4.28 yards per rushing attempt. They also had eight rushing touchdowns, which was the sixth best in the league. Okay? Let's look at weeks 7 to 13. So, in weeks 7 to 13, they've had 273 total passing attempts, which is an average of 45 total pass attempts per game. So, they are now averaging 10 pass attempts more across the last six weeks as opposed to the first six weeks. And let's have a look at the running game. Week 7 to 13, the running game, they've had just 115 total rushing attempts at an average of 19 rushing attempts per game. They've had just 333 total rushing yards in the last six weeks at an average of just 55 and a half. And where they were averaging 4.28 yards per rushing attempt through weeks 1 to 6, the last six weeks... They've averaged just 2.76. And remember, when they had the sixth best rushing touchdowns in the league with eight through the first six weeks? Well, the last six weeks, they've scored just two. This is a team that's gone from, from weeks one to six, averaging 35 pass attempts and 30 rushing attempts, to averaging 45 pass attempts and 19 rushing attempts. They go from ranking 15th in yards per attempt on the ground and 9th in rushing yards per game through the first six weeks to ranking 29th in yards per attempt on the ground and 29th in yards per game. They go from being ranked 11th 
in pass attempts per game. So about middle of the pack, a little more than middle for passing attempts per game. To currently throwing the ball the second most in the NFL. Let's have a look how it's impacting the scoring. So the Steelers through weeks one to six scored 183 points at an average of 30.5 points per game. The Steelers scoring from weeks seven to 13, they've scored 151 points at an average of 25.1. So they've dropped five points per game. So the Steelers are passing the ball 10, point, 10 times more per game the last six weeks. They are running the ball 11 times less per game on average and averaging 74 yards less per game on the ground and one and a half yards less per carry. They were averaging 1.3 rushing touchdowns per game through the first six weeks and in the subsequent six weeks, they average 0.33 rushing touchdowns per game. Just one rushing touchdown every three games. And it's a shame because the Steelers' defense might be one of the best defenses in franchise history. This could be one of the, you know, an underrated fact, this could be one of the best defenses in NFL history. Through 12 games this season, they have amassed 16 interceptions, 44 sacks, and have held teams to 61 uh, of 169 third down attempts. They're allowing teams to convert on third down just 36% of the time, while also allowing the fewest points against per game in the league. They're only allowing 17.6 per game in the league. But this team will not win a Super Bowl if they can't find a way to run the football. At least like they did across the first six weeks. And that's all it needs to be. And to be honest, that in some ways was a bit of a a statistical shell. Yes, they ranked 15th in yards per attempt and 9th in yards per game on the ground through weeks 1 to 6, which puts them in that top 20 that that I said they need to get to. You wouldn't say they were running the ball particularly well if you watched it. There were games, I think of games against the, the, the New York Giants, where you know James Conner broke off a 70-yard run, I think it was, at the end of the game. So that sort of padded, added, you know, plus 70 yards onto their game. You know, which which can dramatically change it. If you have a you know 130 yard rushing game, 70 of it was on a play right at the end of the game. Then that inflates those those yards per attempt statistics. But I do think it's demonstrative that being ranked 15th and 9th, so in yards per attempt on the ground and yards per game on the ground. Through those first six weeks, that's when the Steelers have looked their best. Through the first six weeks. That's where they looked more um, undefeated <laughs> or un- you know, unbeatable, perhaps. That's when they looked more unbeatable. The last six weeks is where things have started to get dicey. You look at a guy like Chase Claypool. So he averaged 13.55 yards per attempt through weeks one to six. He's now just averaging 6.37 yards per attempt. In the first six weeks of the season, Claypool had six rushes for two touchdowns 
and he's rushed the ball just three times for zero scores in the last six weeks. His catch percentage has also fallen significantly, and that's a, a massive part of why the Steelers are struggling, is their receivers uh, are dropping balls at a massive rate. But I think teams are working out that the Steelers can't really run the ball. And a lot of what they manufacture is, you know, in the short to intermediate game. There isn't really a legitimate, consistent, deep threat. Now, Ben Roethlisberger has a much stronger arm than Philip Rivers. He can put the ball on more places on the field than Philip Rivers can. But teams aren't that worried about the deep threat. Now... I haven't gone back and I've watched the majority of the Steelers games this season, but I haven't gone back and watched any all 22 footage. I can't tell you, oh, well, this is what the Ravens did, you know, to stop the Steelers run game and everyone's going to follow that blueprint. I can't tell you that. All I know is they haven't rushed the ball particularly well all season, but the last six weeks has been particularly bad. The problem has come to the surface where they were getting by through weeks one to six, which is all they need to do. That's all they need to do. Even if they don't look that good running the football, if they can just get the production they had in weeks one to six, they're a lot harder to beat. But I really do think some of that was statistical inflation um, for some big chunk yardage from James Connor at the end of games. It did, they, they haven't been able to consistently, down by down, run the ball well. You look at a team like the Tennessee Titans, you look at a team like the Baltimore Ravens, you look at a team like the Cleveland Browns, where they can pick up five yards per attempt. They can pick up four yards per attempt. You'll um, have to excuse me, my son is playing Among Us in a room next door. If you can hear, you know, banshee-like screaming, uh, that's why. The sounds of excitement of Among Us. Um, so that's all the Steelers have to get back. They need to find a consistent way to run the ball. They don't have to be the Cleveland Browns. They don't have to be the Tennessee Titans. But they've got to be more consistent than they have been. And the last six weeks, they've been really bad. They're starting to get found out. And I can really see that the Steelers... I could, I could see the Steelers going 2-2 two and two the last four games of the season, which will still get them to 13-3. and three probably won't get them a first round bye because the, the Chiefs will probably win out and finish 15-1. and one. But this is a longer term issue for me, for Pittsburgh in the AFC North. There is another team in this division that is on the warpath and they have a ruthlessly effective run game with multiple pieces who can rush the ball and a quarterback who is a bitter competitor who has more than enough ability to throw the ball downfield and tear a secondary apart when the run game is operating effectively. And that team also has an aggressive defense that has 30 sacks and 10 interceptions this season. That team, of course, is the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland averages a league-high 157.8 yards per game on the ground, and the Baltimore Ravens are second, with an average 157.6 rushing yards per game. So it's not bad enough for the Steelers that they have, you know, one of the worst four or five running games in the country but the best two running games in the league also reside in the same division. Now, 
that both of those teams are built around the run. They both have aggressive defenses. I think they're. I think this is important for for, for the Steelers to, to to fix because the shape of this league is going to be defined. Sorry, of this division could really be defined by who can run the football. And I know that Cleveland blew out the Browns back in week six. And I know the Ravens blew out the Browns in week one. But you start to get the feeling that across the last six games, this Cleveland Browns team is finding its mettle. And there are two fascinating games remaining on the AFC North schedule this season that could have major impact on how this division is stacked in the future. The first of those games happens this week when the Cleveland Browns take on the Baltimore Ravens. So the team that manhandled the Browns in week one. This is a, this is a revenge opportunity. This is a measuring stick moment for Cleveland. And the second game occurs in week 17 when the Steelers travel to Cleveland to take on the Browns who they dismantled in week six. 38 to 7, if you recall. Two massive measuring sticks for the Cleveland Browns, who just dropped 40 on the Tennessee Titans. These two games are going to tell us a hell of a lot about just how real Kevin Stefanski's Cleveland Browns are and could set the tone for the AFC North, obviously this season but potentially moving forward. If the Cleveland Browns beat both the Ravens and the Steelers in their final month of the season and make a run to the playoffs, can you imagine the confidence that they can take from that? You know, there's a lot of psychology in the AFC North that the Steelers and Ravens boss the division and and, and the, the Bengals... And the Browns are second-class citizens. Well, if the Browns beat both the Ravens and the Steelers in the last month of the season, that psychology could start to shift. And I think Pittsburgh needs to be thinking about this. Do, you know, the rhetoric always is, well, Pittsburgh's been successful forever. The Baltimore Ravens, in their history, their short history, have been successful won two Super Bowls. In fact, if you look at that sort of modern era of the AFC North, the Steelers have won two Super Bowls. The Ravens have won two Super Bowls. Four of the 20, or 19, 20, 21st century Super Bowl champions have come out of the AFC North from the Steelers and the Ravens. They can't let the Browns beat them if they want to maintain that grip. If the Browns beat the Steelers and beat Baltimore in the final month of the season, I think that this division becomes one of the most fascinating divisions in football. Because I don't think that the Steelers are going to ever bottom out. They're too big a behemoth for that to happen. I don't think the Ravens are going to bottom out. So if you suddenly have a really strong Browns team, if you suddenly have a Joe Burrow-led Bengals that was looking frisky, I mean, there's probably still 
a distant-ish fourth next season. AFC North is going to be, you know, the thing to watch. So the Steelers better fix their run game because they're the, the best two run games in the league exist as their divisional neighbours. And I think Cleveland is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Tennessee are a really good team. They don't have a great defence, but they, I, th- I think they're a really good team. It's going to be so fascinating. So fascinating. That's going to do it. I'm going to end it there. You can contemplate the AFC North and the Pittsburgh Steelers' need for a run game as we careen towards week 14 of the NFL. Can't believe we're almost here. I'm kind of excited for once for the run into playoffs. Normally, people have heard me say it, I get a bit depressed around this time of year because we're slowly weeding out teams and you know, training camp is my favorite time where anything is possible. But something really exciting about this head into playoffs. I think there's some upsets on the horizon. At right now, it looks like who will play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. But who who knows? The Bills just had a great win over the 49ers. And I know everyone will say, well, it's only against Nick Mullins. And they didn't have George Kittle. And that 49ers team is a really good team, no matter who they have on the park. That system that Shanahan runs is a great system. And the Bills have the Steelers this week. My goodness gracious me. It is going to be fascinating. Imagine if the Steelers go and lose to the Bills this week and they've lost two in a row. And if the the Browns beat the Ravens and suddenly the Browns are 10-3 and and the Steelers are 11-2. and with three weeks left. It's going to be fascinating. All right. Until next time, guys, you've been great. I've been reasonable. It's the JBFE. Thanks so much for listening. joining us on the Jake Botel Football Experience. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at Jake Botel Football Experience and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, we invite you to support the JBFE on Patreon and you'll receive additional exclusive bonus content. Thank you again for joining us at the JBFE.